Good morning. So if we haven't met before, I'm Dave. I'm the high school pastor, and uh, it is great to see you guys today. Um, so we started a, a series last week on, um, called Status, and this is a series on relationships. And, uh, and we gave you guys a way you guys can text in questions throughout the series. And the way that you can do that, I'll put this slide up so you can see it. Um, but you've got to text all caps, TVC Overflow 254 to the number 22333, and that will get you enrolled in the text message thread. This is not a public thing. No one's going to see your name or your number. No one else will see the questions that you ask. And we'll leave this thing up and running for the next few weeks and months. If you have a question of something that we've said or something you want us to answer in the series, please ask those questions. And we'll do some of the questions during the series, some of the questions at the very end in the Q&A panel discussion. But you guys can ask questions there um, in that way. So, uh, so today we are talking about dating, like who you should date, what kind of person um, once that time in your life has come. And now as we talk about the who, it's implied that you should also be this kind of person. That's just an assumed thing. As we're describing the kind of person you're looking for, <laughs> that you should also be that kind of person. And, um, and not be some other kind of person. So, um, now last week I said that I don't think it's a great idea for most high school students to date because most don't do it the right way. But here's the good news. You can get married at a very young age. Do you guys know the rules in Texas? Are you aware of this? Did you know that in Texas, just to make your own decision, you can get married, of course, when you're 18, if you're, you're considered an adult at that point. But did you know that with parental consent, you can get married at the age of 16 in Texas? Raise your hand if you're a 16 or older. Raise your hand. So right now, if your parents signed some papers and the other party did the same, you could legally get married in Texas. It's crazy to think about. Um, I did some research, and uh, Mississippi, for some reason, the age is 21 because too many cousins were marrying each other, and so they had to raise the age limit to deal with all that. Anybody here from Mississippi? I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry I said that, not sorry that you're from there. That's what I meant to say. Um, but so the who is a lot more important than the when, and I've, I've seen 19-year-olds who are ready, and 29-year-olds who are not. And so listen, I am not anti-dating. It's about using wisdom, and it's about the timing of it. And so when the time is right, I would say when someone is using wisdom and applying the things we'll discuss in the series, I mean, permission to date and evaluate and figure this thing out in a godly way. Um, when I was in college, there was this anti-dating movement among Christians, especially young women for some reason, they would say things like, you know, I don't believe in dating. I'm just going to date Jesus for a while. And I'd be like, but Jesus is single, and he has been for a long time. I don't think he plans to change that anytime soon, right? And uh, there was like this big movement at, at that time to like, don't ever even talk about the idea of dating someone. And so listen, we're not anti-dating. We're just encouraging you guys to wait until you're mature enough to actually do it the right way. Now, when I think back on, like, when was the age for, for me and my friends where we started to recognize this thing called relational drama? You know, you're going through elementary school, and, like, third grade, fourth grade, like, we're not even thinking about stuff like this. And then something happened 
in fifth grade. And I don't know why this happened in fifth grade, but something just took place in my fifth grade little class where there was this girl, and I think about half the guys in the class liked the same girl. And this girl knew, she's one of those girls that knew everyone liked her. And so what she did is she would make this list almost weekly of all the guys that she liked and in the order that she liked them. So like one to six. And she released this list like it was the college football rankings every week. And, and all of us are sitting here, and we, we're kind of taking it serious, like, you know, where am I going to be on the list? Am I going to make the list? And, and there was a time when Dave Tate was climbing the rankings. Yeah, baby. And I finally made it to number one for like three months. Yeah. I think it was a record. And, uh, and then... It's like crazy this happened. And then one day she just calls me on the phone and doesn't say anything. She just says, I have a new list. What is it? And she read some other guy's name as number one, and I just like hung up on her. It's like, you will, you will not have the last word, young lady. And so this happened. And there's like relational drama happening in like fifth grade, Right. And then as we get to, like, eighth grade, and then it's, like, more serious, just more serious life stuff, um, I would say, I mean, I'm just confessing stuff to you this morning, but um, eighth grade was when I had, like, this girlfriend, and it was just really emotionally manipulative. Same thing happened in 10th grade. Um, started heading down the road, the physical road, and that was just sinful for me to head down that road. Um, get into college, some of those similar things. Um, just a lot of, like, immaturity, emotional manipulation, and just... I look back and like no one ever came to me and said, hey, what are you doing? And why are you doing it this way? Like no one ever did that. And so this is kind of why we're diving into this series with you guys these next few weeks and months. And so I carried some baggage uh, because of some of those situations. And I'm, I'm not saying this as a joke. I'm saying it honestly. I really had this distrust for the opposite gender. And, and Courtney will even tell you, she said, like, I had to kind of walk through some of that as she and I met at what age? Like, we were, like, what, 24 we met, I think? I think it was 23, 24. And, and I kind of had this baggage I had to work through. And I know that many of you here, you've experienced some similar things, and you've got some baggage already, how you view the opposite gender. Things have already happened to you that make you not trust and make you question. And I understand it. I've been there. And uh, so hopefully this can give um, some perspective and also just move you towards healing as we think through these ideas together. So when you date, you take a risk. Obviously, you step out, you take a risk because you've opened yourself up to being hurt. Now, if your name is Adele or Taylor Swift, you can make a lot of money off of your hurt and your pain, but that's not most of us, is it? We can't really do that. And uh, so the Bible doesn't really address dating officially. Um, if you tried to take the Bible and address dating directly or apply dating directly, it would lead to some weird things, like exchanging sheep and cattle between families or arranged marriages. Do you guys want arranged marriages? Do you guys want that? Do you want it to be like you, you meet the person at the wedding? You don't want to do that? Uh, that's what took place in the Bible sometimes. So we can't really just take the Bible and apply it directly sometimes to dating in this way. 
the Bible doesn't really address dating, but it does give us principles that we can live by. And so uh, dating is a process of evaluation. Let's just be honest about that. And it's about applying wisdom to situations. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. I think of Proverbs 25, 24, where it says, trust me, ladies, the guys are going to have their verse too. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now listen, is that written for the married guy or for the single guy? That's written for the single guy. Is that written to the married guy? It's already too late for him, right? This is written to the, the single guy who's trying to evaluate what kind of person he might want to enter a relationship with. And uh, if the girl that you're interested in is always in conflict and always just combative and with, with friends and, and peers and other people in her family, well, that's, this verse might apply in that situation. I want to consider that before you step into a, a relationship with that person. And then for the guys, 25 verse 28, or chapter 25 verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So does the guy that you like, does he have a temper? Is he always pushing the envelope physically with you? Does he make threats? Does he bully or does he berate people? And it may not be directed at you, but it will one day if that's the kind of person that he is. So the Bible does give us principles and wisdom that we can use to apply as we evaluate certain kinds of people um, to enter into a relationship with. So um, I'm going to give you guys three questions that you can ask. These are questions about the who, the kind of person that you might enter a relationship with. The first question is, are they a devoted follower of Christ? Now, it's not enough to say that they're a Christian. Are you both following Christ? And does it show up in their life in a real way? And were they following Christ before they became interested in you? You know, some people are really good at pretending. And they can kind of play the game because they know what you want them to say and what you want them to be like. And so they're really good at that kind of thing. Second Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, another name for Satan? What does a believer have in common with unbeliever? Now listen. So what is a yoke? What's it talking about? Well, that was an instrument used to bind two animals together when they're plowing a field. Now it would not be smart to yoke an ox with a donkey. They're just completely different animals. So they put two oxen together to plow a field, and those seem to work together because they're the same kind of animal. But they wouldn't pair an ox with a donkey or something else. It was different because it just wouldn't work right. It wouldn't work together. And so what does it mean to be yoked? Well, a yoke would, would bind two animals together, and so a yoked relationship is a binding relationship. Now, this is not talking about friendship or an acquaintance or someone that's just kind of casual. This is referring to a binding relationship with someone, and that, that this kind of thing, a believer should not be in a binding relationship with an unbeliever where their way of life and value system is going to influence your way of life and your value system. So if you're a believer, I'll be really clear, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, it is sinful to bind yourself with someone who is not a believer. 
This would be even true in a business relationship. It wouldn't be wise for two people to enter into a business relationship where you might get sucked up into the way the other person might run the business. This is even more true of romance because can you think of any other relationship more binding than something like romance? I can't. That is the closest human relationship that we have. So, so you shouldn't enter into a, a binding relationship with a believer and an unbeliever. Again, this does not mean that you don't have friendship with unbelievers. You should have friendship with unbelievers. Of course you should, but just not binding ones. Just not binding ones. So Belial is another name for Satan. And so what harmony is there between Christ and Satan? So Paul paints a real stark contrast here between these two different worlds. So if you're a believer, that means that you live by faith. That means that you believe what God says. You do what he, sa- you do what he says. You obey him. And if someone else is not living the same way, it's going to make things difficult in your relationship. So if you're, I'll even say it this way. Listen, there's, there's plenty of people in this room, I'm sure, that you, you've not yet surrendered your life to Christ. And so I'll ask you this question. If you're not yet a Christ follower, then why would you also want to bind your life to someone who is a Christ follower? Like, your, your worlds aren't going to match up. It's not going to, you're just going to frustrate each other. You know, some might respond, well, you know, the person I like, well, they, they believe in God. I mean, that's good enough, right? Well, many people believe that God exists. I mean, the book of James says that even the demons believe that. They believe that God exists. But it's not wise to enter a relationship with someone when you haven't seen their faith lived out over a long period of time. Because their interest in Jesus might just be an interest in you. And there's no way for you to even tell if it's genuine or not until you've seen them live a lot of life in front of you and seen what really, what really impacts in, in their, their life values. So it's not just about, you know, should I date an unbeliever or not? You've got to ask the question, why is it that I'm so romantically drawn to people who are not following Christ? Because that question is more about you and your own heart and what you value, you've got to ask yourself that question. Why are you so drawn to someone romantically that isn't a Christ follower? Um, What's happening in your own heart, your own mind, to bring that about? That's a whole separate issue. So how do you know if they're a devoted Christ follower? A couple questions to think about. Do they have a personal faith story? Can they, they, not, not necessarily like a time, like where they became a Christian, but... Do they have a personal testimony of like, yes, I was a lost sinner apart from Christ because of my sin, and, and, and I, I, I recognized my need for a Savior, and I, I, I surrendered my life to him. I saw the need for, um, for him to save me from my sin. Do they have a personal faith story? Has their life been transformed by the gospel? And I understand that when you're in high school, it's kind of like in fits and spurts where you're like, well, because I would tell you that my sophomore year of high school, I saw myself as this, like, godly Christian person, but I had this sinful relationship going on. I was living, like, two different worlds. And so I understand that in high school it's, it can be hard to work this out in your life, but has their life been transformed by Christ and the gospel? Are they living in surrender and desiring to be in community and desiring accountability with other Christians and wanting to live on mission alongside the church? 
those are helpful questions to ask, I think, as, you, as it relates to being a follower of Christ. The second question is going to sound a lot like the first question. Do they have character? And I ask it this way because there are some who appear to be devoted Christ followers, but really are not. So Luke chapter 6, verse 43, says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, a tree is known by its fruit. We know what kind of tree it is. We can look at the tree and say, it is an apple tree because it's producing apples. A tree is known by its fruit. So someone's heart is seen in actions and words. We live in a world today where people say, you know, don't judge me. You can't judge my heart. Well, the Bible says here that we can, actually, because your words and your actions, the fruit, say a lot about your heart. And Luke 6 says that. You might say it like this, a surrendered life will be a sanctified life. So do we see the gospel at work in their life? Can they forgive when someone has wronged them or done something against them? And how do they address sin in their own life? Do they want to grow and do they want to continue to grow in Christ's likeness in their life? To determine if someone has character, you've got to watch their life over a long period of time. This is why I say it's not wise to just jump into a relationship, especially at your age, because you, you've not seen, like, this part of their life lived out over a lengthy period of time. And you're all, you're all just kind of trying to figure it out on your own anyway. I mean, even you guys are trying to figure that part out on your own as you walk in your faith. So to determine if someone has character, you've got to see their life over a long period of time, what are their relationships like? What is their reputation like with everybody else? You've got to pay attention to that. That's a sign of character. I debated about saying this next statement, but I do feel like I need to say it. Over the last few years, I've seen some guys in this youth group play Christianity like a game and gain the trust of girls and then start texting them and doing stuff through social media, and then suddenly he starts asking her to send photos. Now, I know this can be a two-way street where both people are falling into sin in these areas. And listen, if anyone in here is struggling in those areas, we want to help you. And there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is God's mercy. But I want to talk to the guys specifically for a moment. If If you come in here and that is your intention, and that is your purpose, like, you will not do that here. I have addressed it in the past, sometimes, numerous times, with the same person, over and over again. And I will tell you that if that is your purpose, if that is your intent, you will not do that here. You will not do that here. But listen, If you're honestly struggling and you want help and you want to be set free, we want to help you. Like, understand, that is our our hope. That is our intention. And so that offer is always on the table. But if your intent is something different, like, we will not, no, we're not going to, that's not going to happen here. That's not going to happen here. And so another way to know character 
is, is the person, are they willing to set clear physical boundaries in the relationship? Many years ago, um, at times when I'm talking to a young man in our youth group, I always feel like I should ask this question because I feel like no one, no one ever asked me this question when I was in high school. But I'll ask guys this question. Hey, you're in a relationship, you've been dating this girl for a while. Like, tell me what your, your physical boundaries are in the relationship. And I asked this one young man this question over lunch one day, and he said, well, I mean, like, whatever she's okay with. And I was like, well, but what if she's okay with sin? And he didn't really have an answer for that. And so I will say to you, a way to know someone's character is, are they willing to set clear physical boundaries in the relationship? That's a character issue. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's a hard-hitting verse. And listen, this is not just talking about married people. This is talking about single people before they get married. And listen, again, I'll say it. For the repentant, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is restoration, there is redemption. I am not trying to shame anyone in here this morning. But there's a difference between struggling and walking. And if you're, you're walking in it and you, you claim to be a Christ follower and you're walking in sin in these areas in your life, God brings judgment. And listen, he might bring present judgment to keep you from future. He, he might bring an exposure where someone finds out or parents find out or friends find out or someone else finds out. And that's actually a grace because he brings things into the light so that you can repent and turn to him and receive his grace and mercy. And that's what he wants for you. That's what we want for you. That's what we want for you. You know, the sad reality is the question that people asked when I was in high school, I know it's asked today as well, well, how far is too far in the relationship? You know, what can I get away with? I'm always amazed by that question because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul is challenging relationships in the church, and Paul tells young men to treat young women as sisters, and it says, in all purity. And so I always tell people this, until she's your wife, she's your sister. And I want that to gross you out. Okay? Until he's your husband, he is your brother. He's your... <laughs> you should be asking questions like, how can I guard against temptation? How can I protect this relationship? Protect what God wants us to protect. We'll say more about this later on in the series, but... So that's my other question is, does the person have character? And do you have character as you step into this relationship? And then the third question is, do you have chemistry? Now, this is not the kind of chemistry you're thinking about. All right, we'll get to that. But do you have chemistry? And, and listen, I'm taking a lot of these talks uh, somewhat from a book by a guy named Ben Stewart. And uh, so these are his points. I want to make sure he gets credit for these, not me. And, and plus, these points, these last few points are going to be points that you're thinking about when you're, because a lot of this stuff isn't even developed yet in your own minds, what I'm going to say right now, but it will be later on when you get to college and beyond. But so, what does it mean to be theologically compatible? It doesn't mean you must agree on everything, but examples would be if, 
you go off to college, and one person is Catholic or other person raised in a Bible church, or one person Catholic, one person Southern Baptist. Well, those are very different ways of looking at the Christian faith. Not saying someone can't be a Christian from that background. I'm just saying that you've got to understand there is a lot there to navigate through. And so are they, are you theologically compatible? What kind of church are you going to go attend? You got to decide, kind of decide that. There was a wedding I did a few years ago. This guy attended the village church in Dallas, but his soon-to-be wife was very much charismatic assembly of God and part of our premarital counseling, we talked about this. We said, like, you guys need to kind of figure this out. These are very different ways of looking at the Bible and looking at church. And y'all got to kind of figure this out. And it did not end well. They actually got married, got divorced two years later. And it, that wasn't the only reason. But they didn't really figure these things out when they were going through their, their um, engagement. So there's theologically compatible. And that's a whole, that's a whole other talk. There is socially compatible. What that means is, does not mean identical. In most relationships, you will see that one is outgoing, the other probably isn't. That's just the way God has designed us. But here's the question, do you like spending time together? Very simply, do you like talking with them? Do you talk with them? That's kind of important. Whenever Courtney and I first met, this is one of the things that just stood out to me is that conversation did never felt like work. At least it wasn't for me. It might have been, maybe she thought that about me, I don't know, but it wasn't for me. It never felt like that. It was just a very easy relationship to kind of start in that way. You know, many couples will jump into physical relationship, and this makes them feel, for a time, emotionally close to the person, but that's really a false closeness. It's not a real, true relational closeness. That's not what's happening there. So they're socially compatible. This is a weird one to talk about now, but vocationally compatible. Now, that's like dealing with career and job and stuff. But it's something to think about. So, again, not identical jobs, but compatible. What I mean by that is if one of you wants to be a doctor in downtown Dallas, but the other wants to be a missionary overseas, well, that's not really compatible. Now, if they're okay being a doctor in the mission field, well, that's compatible. If you want to be a pastor and she doesn't want to be a pastor's wife, that's not really compatible, right? That's a problem. I can recall my, my youth pastor's wife talking to my soon-to-be fiancé, Courtney, and saying, are you okay being a pastor's wife? Because she had been in that role and knows what it's like. And they had that conversation. And that's something that we had to kind of think through. There was a time when I wanted to be a counselor before I even met her and then end up going the, the route of ministry. But our jobs, they really kind of fit pretty well together. They're not identical, but they're compatible. And then lastly, what you're thinking about is physically compatible. This does not mean what you think it means right now, okay? But um, what I mean by that is this does not mean that you start a physical relationship to see if you're compatible. That's not what that means. That's what our culture says. This is simple, simple question. Are you attracted to them? That's still important. I got an amen. There we go. Um, now, some might say that's shallow. You can't say that. Listen, God designed this. Like, God knows what he's doing. 
God designed this. So this is not a wrong question for someone to ask. This does not mean you had to be totally attracted the first time you saw this person. Sometimes it can be a process where as you know the person, personality, it all kind of fits together, and you realize, like, I am, I'm attracted to this person in that way. And so this is an important part of a relationship. And if it's not there, then you should not marry this person or be in a relationship with this person. And we'll talk more about this as we go in the series, but this is an important aspect as well. I want to close with a quote from Ben Stewart. He says this, This is not a treasure map to follow to find our true love. Instead, this is a lens through which to evaluate fellow travelers. In the end, the happiest people are not those who are actively seeking a mate, but those who are actively seeking their maker. All right, what we said last week is really important. If you're more concerned with who you'll marry than actually following Jesus, that's going to be a problem in any relationship. I'm going to go ahead and close right there, and you guys are going to go to break.